everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor Amos Grunendijk. You can have a seat here. Welcome on the live stream as well. My name is Amos. I'm one of the lead pastors here. We are in a series called Vision, and it's about vision, and we're going to continue with this series through the end of January. And on January 31st, I think that's a Sunday, we'll conclude the series with Partnership Sunday. That's a chance where you can say, hey, yeah, I'm in with the vision of the church for another year. I'm committed. I'm with you. And then later that evening on Zoom, we'll be doing communion together. Online is like the one place where we can all get together at the same time. And so even if you don't want to be a partner, uh, if, if you're not sure yet, you can still join us for communion and you'll be getting information about that after Uh, the series on vision, we're going to jump into a series called The Deeply Formed Life. And it's tracking with this book called, you got it, The Deeply Formed Life by, I call him Rich V because I always lose the lotus. I lose it in the middle. I add some extra syllables. Um, In my last name, Grunendijk, people usually add, do the same thing. So like, I I don't, I'm just going to call him Rich V. It's a, it's a book about transformation. It's a book about emotional well-being. And one of the things that this guy's mentor, Speet Scazzaro, which is a name maybe you've heard because he's written books called The Emotionally Healthy Church, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. Uh, and Rich took over Pete Scazzaro's church in Queens. Uh, but Speet, Pete Scazzaro says, your spiritual life will never outpace your emotional life. So uh, I would love to buy this book for anybody who says, yeah, please, I can Amazon it right to you. So send me an email, write me a text, and whoever wants this one, uh, socially distance, come and get it. Anybody in the room want it? With a baby laying claim. Here you go, Frank. Thank you, Pastor. You're very welcome. Uh, looking forward to that series. That's, I think, the, the idea of going through a book like that to help kind of keep us all engaged and growing, even if you're uh, not in your regular rhythms of coming to church, uh, even if you're not in a regular rhythm of life group right now, that's a way that you can kind of invest in your own spiritual and emotional life. So looking forward to that. Let's pray before we jump into today's text. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. We need you like breath. We need you to give life and sustain life and to give us purpose. And so this morning we ask that you would be our teacher, that throughout uh, both the hearing and the singing that you would become the center and that we would become more like you, that we would actually be able to kind of get out of our kind of selfish, self-preferential you know, way of being and, and get in touch with your heart, Jesus, and with your way of being to help see the world as you see it. 
So give us vision. Give us your vision. We pray this in the name of the resurrected Jesus. Amen. I'm going to be reading from the Amos translation this morning. Proverbs 29, verse 18, right here, this little red book. In a series on vision, we have to land on uh, Proverbs 29:18, and you'll see why in just a second. But it's a, it's a passage about vision and a book that's about wisdom. So I, I kind of looked at the original Hebrew, and I looked at different translations, and some of the translations I feel like lean toward trying to explain what's going on, but it loses some of the punch, and some of the translations are just confusing. So this Amos translation isn't necessarily better than what you can find in your Bible at home, but it's going to be, uh, I hope, helpful in both remembering and understanding this passage. Without vision, people perish. But those who keep Torah, you know what Torah is, maybe you don't, it's the uh, written word from God. In Hebrew, it's referring to specifically the first five books of the Bible, but for our purpose, and for their purpose, it was the scripture, right? The Bible you have, whether it's the NLT, the message translation, the NIV, the RSV, like there's, I was just talking to somebody about this, like there's there's 100 translations and then there's 100 more study Bibles for each translation. But without vision, people perish, but those who keep Torah live a good life. Now, I want you to know, first of all, that this is not primarily a statement about leadership, although maybe you've seen it in a leadership book, uh, and it's neither a statement about something that the church can give you. Well, I need my church to give me vision for my life or I will perish. It's actually much more personal than that. This is a book of Proverbs written for everybody to apply to their life. And so it's a, it's a statement to you, Abigail, without vision, you will perish. And it's a statement to you, Ray. Ray, without vision, you will perish. You need vision for your life. And you need the kind of vision that I can't actually give you generically, but that only God can give you personally, Judy. You need vision for your life. And for some of us, we've gone through significant changes. And for some of us, we're trying to reorient and find new vision or, or, or new purpose. You need a reason to get up in the morning. Every single person here needs a reason to get up in the morning. I want to look at three statements or three words in that statement. Without vision, people perish, but those who keep Torah live a good life. The first word I want to zoom in on is that word perish. And again, if, if you look at different translations of the Bible and you're like, oh, they're, they're translating this in a different way, it's not like one is wrong necessarily and one is right. A lot of times it's because it's a word that has like a multi-dimensional meaning. And so different translations are trying to get at the meaning of the word by using different, you know, different words, <laughs> uh, different definitions, and without having the space to like explain everything, they just give you their best shot. But this word perish has the nuance of running wild. So without vision, you will run wild. In other words, there won't be a clear direction for your life. You'll run this way and you'll run that way. Um, I grew up on a farm, so I actually know what it looks like when a chicken runs with its head cut off. Um, 
I, I, there's some other, there's a farmer in the room. He knows the same thing. And, and I don't know if that's a PC illustration anymore, but the idea is, is that they don't know where they're going. They don't know where they're headed. And so they don't go anywhere. They just run around in circles and people can do the same thing without vision. You will run in circles. You will run wild. You won't know where you're going and you won't get there either. Without vision, people cast off restraint. The book of Proverbs is based on the idea that the fool will just do whatever he or she feels like whenever he or she feels like it. And that what feels like freedom will actually cost you more than if you live life within boundaries or within wisdom. So the, the, the urge here is to like live with values and live with wisdom and live with boundaries. Without vision, the people cast off restraint. You'll become like a fool, in other words. Uh, and this, this last one, for some reason in this time, hit me particularly hard. Without vision, the people will be discouraged. And that pretty much names the problems for each of us, isn't it? We are people, many of us, who are in that place of discouragement. We are in a place without the normal rhythms in life, without the typical boundaries, and so everything's just kind of chaotic and directionless. We, we, we're running wild. It's one of the problems that's in the world. You see it on the news, but we, if we take a moment to notice it in our own lives, we will admit it too. Without vision, people perish. But those who keep Torah live a good life. The second idea or concept I want to put our S into here is that idea of the good life. Different definitions, different translations could say flourish, blessed, fulfilled, uh, or joyful and happy. So in other words, the opposite of perishing is living this good life. It's living a life fulfilled and whole and with purpose and with vision, but also like you have this, you have this joy that, uh, that most people don't seem to have if you root yourself in vision and Torah. And I just, I want, I want to say this. I want to just kind of drop this and see how it lands. Don't postpone joy. Don't wait for it. Don't think that joy will come to you once you get that promotion, once you get through this week, once you get to the weekend, once you buy the new house, once you upgrade to the new phone, like once you make the right hire, once you delegate the right set of job requirements, once you train your child how to do the dishes or your husband how to do the dishes or your, or your wife how to do the, you know, like equal opportunity offender here, right? But it, it, the joy that you want is accessible to you and part of that joy has to come from an inner state, not an external circumstance. And I actually think the last time I preached here, like since, you know, Christmas and quarantine and all that stuff, was the third week of Christmas when we talked about joy and looked at a passage that kind of drew out these, is it seven? Six things. And I just want to put them up there, read through them, and remind us to kind of keep ourselves centered on the good life and noticing it and flourishing there. So first of all, honor God sacrificially. Second, prioritize people. Third, rehearse joy. Look for it. Find it. Fourth, cast off your anxieties. 
Fifth, always be grateful. And six, sing. And sing not for you, but sing for Jesus, to Jesus, about Jesus. Um, I think one of the things that has been so tough in the pandemic has been worship. And it's been hard in the room because of the masks, and it's hard online because it's weird. But maybe, could, could you imagine, like, God in heaven thinking, man, even when it's hard, my people are doing it. Like, what if, what if the singing, what if worship wasn't just about your experience or your comfort? How do you think, God's, how do you think God receives your worship when you're actually dealing with distractions, when you're dealing with kids yelling in the, in the playroom, when you're dealing with like, okay, this mask is a little uncomfortable. Do you think, you think he wishes that you were more in tune? Like you think, no, he's like he receives that. I believe that at the end of the day, worship is about putting God in the center. And so that's an encouragement to you in this time. That is, oh, of course, not ideal, and I'm ready for it to be over. And there's, there is some light at the end of the tunnel, but don't wait for joy, people. There's an opportunity here to grow in our capacity and our ability to worship. Okay, without vision, people perish, but those who keep Torah live a good life. One of the reasons that people misinterpret this text is when they see vision, they, they think of it in like 21st century terms, right? You might see this on a, on a company's wall, like the vision of our company is, you know, to, to be the low-cost airline or to be a place where people can trade practically anything for practically anything, something in line with that. That's eBay, right? Uh, or you know, fill in the blank. But, but the idea of vision here actually has to do with divine revelation. So the idea of getting a vision has to do with God speaking to you, with God uh, directing you. And oftentimes in the Old Testament, what we find is that he uses prophets, people who have like this special relationship with God, who see visions, like dreams from God or hear God's voice, and then they go and tell the people, hey, this is what God is saying to you to kind of keep you on track, to keep you on the rails, to keep your life in alignment with God's teachings, which actually can be found, I mean, for the Jewish people, they're written down, right? They're written in the Bible. Here's the cool thing that happens in the New Testament. Jesus comes as the perfect revelation for each of us. That's also written down. But then he says, I send you my spirit. And what this is all about is that he gives us a direct line to God so that each of us can hear his voice. We don't need prophets. Now, of course, sometimes and often the prophetic voice that we hear today is not simply like the urgings of God in our heart or in our mind. It comes from people who are around us. Without some kind of listening for God's voice, whether it be in the Bible, without it be, or maybe it's kind of through your prayer time, sitting in silence and solitude, hearing it from other people. Without divine revelation, without divine guidance, you will perish. But those who keep Torah, those who stay in alignment with God and his teachings and his words and his will will have a good life. 
will have joy, will be fulfilled. Now, I want to ask a few questions of us today. Four questions, so you know how long, much longer this talk will last. Four questions. My first question to you is this. Who has replaced the voice of God and or what has replaced Scripture for you as the main influence in your life? And if, if replace is too strong a word, what is competing to be the main voice in your life and or what are you reading, what are you consuming, what is shaping you instead of Scripture, instead of the Bible? Now, something to think about and ponder perhaps, something to ask your community about, people who know you best, but let's ask God about it, okay? So we're just going to do a real quick prayer. So come, Holy Spirit, we trust that you would speak to our hearts. Would you reveal to us, pray this with me, would you reveal to us what voice has replaced you as the main influence in my life? How many of you feel in the room like something, like some person, some individual, some source came to your mind? Did anybody feel like something came to your mind? A few of you. Here's Amos talking here for just a second. I, when I look into the world, I see a few main places where voices are competing with God for the main voice. The place we tune in for news. The personalities on cable news in particular, and you know I'm an equal opportunity offender. Like, let's just pick on Fox News and... Uh, is it MSNBC? Sorry, the one to the left. MSNBC, right? There's a bunch of different NBC ones. These voices are telling us what causes are worth living for and dying for and worth consuming our time and energy and thoughts with. And I think for many of us, what has replaced Scripture as the main like influence in our lives is the news articles we're reading on social media. Am I wrong about this? <laughs> Am I right about this? <laughs> I'm getting a lot of head. I'm getting affirmation in the room. There are other places too, of course, that compete with the voice of God. It might be your spouse. It might be that the, the words of your spouse are, are shaping your identity in negative ways or the words of your father or the words of a friend. Something is cutting into you and and messing with your identity when really it's the voice of God that you need to listen to when it comes to who you are and what's important and whether or not you have worth and value. So there's different voices, there's different forces that compete with the voice of God in our life. Whatever that is, if you found, if something in what I'm saying is connecting with you in your hearts right now, pray with me, God, I repent. I want you to be the main voice in my life. Holy Spirit, help me. <laughs> help me to hear your voice. I repent. I turn to you. I turn back to you. I want you to be the one who shapes my values, who gives me my reasons for living, who consumes my thoughts. Amen. Okay, we're just like, pray, talk, pray, talk. Let's keep going. Second question. Is there margin in your life? If there's not margin in your life, you're not going to be able to tune in to the vision that God wants to give you, and you will perish. Without margin in your life, you will perish. 
Without margin in your life, you will not be able to connect into Scripture or connect into community that will help you flourish. Margin in your life is like margin on a piece of paper, like there's space where there's nothing. So if all you're doing is eating and sleeping and working and surfing the internet or surfing cable or streaming services, there's not margin in your life. I think there's a difference between being like, I want to watch a movie. It's good for my soul and surfing Netflix. (laughs) And I think the internet's dangerous because even when I go to the internet thinking, I'm going to look up this thing that will be good for my life, then I find myself on Wikipedia. I don't know. (laughs) It's... It's, it's, like, it's like a drug, isn't it? It's like a drug. Don't confuse having purpose in your life with being busy. And when you look at what the Hebrew scriptures elevate by the time of Jesus, one of the things that seems really, really important that Jesus says, uh, I'm not doing away with it, I've come to fulfill it, is the idea of Sabbath keeping. In other words, a day where you don't work, where perhaps you take a break from social media, where you do things to connect yourself to, uh, to, to Jesus, to your family, to your friends, to enrich your soul. Now, you might, I don't want you to, to misread this. I'm not saying like Sabbath is a day that you sit and read your Bible all day or that you spend your whole day praying. What I'm, what I'm saying ultimately is that the vision that God gives you for your life and the scripture that hopefully you're engaging with is written on your heart so that as you live, those things become like oozing out of you. That they become the thing that identifies your meaning, that identifies your being, that identifies who you are and powers that. Okay, third question. Who are the two or three people you trust to keep you connected to Jesus? This is something you can like think of their names right now. This is, I'm not asking for you to shout out names. But think of a few people that you trust to keep you connected to Jesus. And then the follow-up question, have you prioritized them? You know how you know if something is a priority in your life? There are two ways to know. Are you spending time on it or are you spending money? When we're talking about people, the main currency of friendship (laughs) is time. Have you prioritized it? In other words, is it in your calendar? Are the people that you trust to keep you connected to Jesus in your calendar? Is it a repeating event in your calendar? This is is the heart behind the new, I'll call it initiative, but I'll say vision that we have for our church The idea of finding a few people, two to three people you would call friends that keep you connected to Jesus. We see this in Jesus' life. We see him having a a, like kind of a church size group, like there's 72 or there's a thousand or there's 5,000, like he does big crowd stuff. He has a small group where he spends a lot of his time, 12 guys, a few women. But then inside that group, there's like two or three people that he's like, and these, these are the people that I trust most. For Jesus, it was Peter, James, and John. My question is, do you have people like that in your life? And what kind of investment are you willing to make in order to make sure you do? We're calling them tripods. 
And I'm going to have a meeting after this on Zoom. But tripods are cool because they're for, about formation, they're about friendship, they're flexible, and they're feasible. And I'm going to talk about that at the meeting. <laughs> but uh, here we have a tripod. You know what the thing is about tripods? About life, too? You can't stand on one leg. In fact, there's something weird about two legs, too. It just doesn't... Okay, I, tri... I, I sent out an, a text earlier this week saying, hey, we're doing an interest meeting on tripods. And a bunch of you responded, what's a tripod? <laughs> uh, well, this is a tripod. But also that's what we're calling the groups. And then when I explained it, somebody's like, oh, yeah, I heard you say that on Vision Sunday. We already, we already reached out to like two or three people. It's like, oh, that's great. I don't care what you call them. Uh, but the idea of a tripod is, and I, and I don't know why this is the case, but there's something about like a group of three people who you trust who you can be really honest with, that keep you standing, that hold you up. Now, it works to have four, I think. And you know in the vineyard, we're not super rigid about this kind of stuff. But like, you can have a four-legged stool and still sit on it. A five-legged stool gets to be a little wonky. And you, you know what? Have you ever seen a five-legged stool? Three-legged stool, yes. Four-legged stool, yes. Two-legged stool, no. Five-legged stool. Okay, I think it has to do with the, the level and the depth of conversation and transparency and vulnerability that happens in, a, in this kind of like tripod group. I'll just put this away. I have a tripod and, uh, it, and so I've, I've been meeting with these guys for a couple months now, or not even that long. And one of the things we asked... Um, this past week because it was just so relevant to all of us is like, could you just process a little bit as transparently as possible, knowing that we, we're still going to be friends at the end of this? Could you process the events that happened in the Capitol last week? Like, not just what are you thinking about it, but how is it affecting your life and what, how are you feeling about it? And it felt a little risky, but people... People had the range of responses. And I said, you know, in even a group of four guys, there's a good chance somebody here voted for Trump, somebody here didn't vote for Trump, and somebody voted for Joe Biden. Those things are a little bit different. Um, and then maybe somebody didn't vote. There's a good chance that in this group of four guys that there is a different way that we are viewing what happened at the Capitol. So please be respectful, but please listen, because it is good to have a place where you can trust your, like, just raw feelings and thoughts. And it is good to hear from other people who don't have the same raw feelings and thoughts. So somebody said, I'm scared, and somebody said, I'm confused, and somebody said, I, you know, whatever. <laughs> you know, and somebody, somebody's angry, and somebody's sad, and somebody's frustrated, and they're, frust you know, like, frustrated about... It on this end or that end, but like it's good to have people who don't just confirm our own bias or feed into the, the same stories that we're getting from places that aren't Jesus, right? There's, there's stories that are being told to us that are shaping how we think and view the world and the events that happen in the world. So we need to make sure that we have people that we are committed to that will help us stand and not lean too far to one side or to the other. 
And I'm not saying that everybody's supposed to be a moderate. I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying, I just think, okay, little soapbox here. (laughs) We've said in our culture that we can't talk about faith and politics. And so what happens as people who are spiritual and people who are like political by nature at some level, right? We go to social media where there are no rules and there is no face and there are no like long-term commitments with the people that we're engaging with. So we have to ha- we have to have people like this. Like Jesus cares so much about what's happening in your life, but also about what's happening in the world. He cares, Jesus cares about what's going on in Washington, D.C. Last week, this week, next week, these like it's gonna be. He, he's, he's not absent. And he doesn't want us to just shut our brains off either. Okay, that was my uh, third question and slight tangent, unplanned, not totally unplanned. Number four, <clears throat> is your relationship with God the engine of your life? I mentioned this a little bit ago. Like, I'm not saying your whole day is spent reading the Bible and praying. I'm asking, is your relationship with Jesus the engine of your life? Now, I'm going to tell a story, and you might be thinking, this is the whole reason we're talking about this. You might be right. I have a little girl. She's almost two. She's turning two in April. Isla is turning two in April. There she is. She's beautiful. And I reserve the right to talk about Isla as much as I want on Sunday mornings. Uh, But something happened this week that I have to tell you about. For the first time in her little life, she said three words that I've been waiting to hear. I love you. In fact, it was four words. I love you, Daddy. We were in the bathtub, and I've I've asked her, Isla, can you say I love you, Daddy, before? And she's just like, do-do-do-do-do-do. And she's talking. She just hasn't said those words. So she's, she's playing in the bath. I'm like, Isla, can you say I love you, Daddy? And clear as day, I love you, Daddy. It's like, wow. My heart was just bursting. I said, Isla, Joe, I love you too. Like this, this is great, clear as day. So uh, we get out of the bathtub. I had to feed her the line, right? It didn't matter. It didn't matter that I had to feed her the line. To hear her say, I love you, Daddy, like, lit up my heart. So we go. Uh, and we're about to brush our teeth, and we're looking in the mirror, and I say, Isla Joe, if I say, I love you, Isla, then what do you say? Love you. I say, what do you say? Daddy. So not as clear, but then she says something amazing. Hugs. So she, she, it wasn't just words. It was like this. It, she understood that it was a relational moment. Hugs. I love you, Daddy. Hugs. This morning, I tried it out again, because this is like a good drug. This is one of the good drugs, hearing your kids say, I love you. And so she wakes up, and she's, you know, she's standing. She's ready to get out of her crib. And I say, hey, Isla, I love you. Nothing? Okay, Isla, what do you say? She says, more passies, <laughs> more pacifiers, more binkies, more wubbinubs, whatever you call them. Okay, there are things that compete in Isla's heart <laughs> f- 
for her affection toward me, and so too in your life. (laughs) Am I right? I've said that before. Anyway, here's why I'm saying this. This is the engine of your life, guys, your relationship with Jesus. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? What is that relationship like? Have you said to God, I love you, Daddy, lately? Does your life reflect that reality? At the end of the Gospel of John, so John is describing the events of Jesus' life. Uh, One of the the three guys I talked about, like Peter, James, and John. And John tells a lot of stories about Peter. So at the very end of the Gospel of John, John is describing this interaction between Peter and Jesus. And Jesus asks John, he's like feeding in the line, John, ask Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, of course I do. And Jesus says something a little cryptic, but he says, you know, feed my lambs. And Jesus says again, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yeah, of course I love you. Jesus is feeding him the line. And Jesus says something similar and equally kind of cryptic, like then take care of my sheep. And it, it happens again kind of that way. But there's this connection. There's, this, there's the engine of your life. The, the dynamic, interactive relationship that you have with Jesus that is rooted in the scriptures, but is about more than that. It's about loving God. And that thing about feeding sheep and taking care of lambs and and that, that's about the expression of your love for Jesus is going to affect the way you do life with other people. It's going to be about the way you serve other people, care for them, invest in them. And so that's, that's what I'm saying. And I wonder if even now, if we could stand and before we sing, stand. And before we sing, just pray that prayer, Jesus, I love you. And to repeat it a few times, because there seems to be something about repetition in our heart that helps us get a little bit closer to the reality that we're declaring. Jesus, I love you. Father God, I love you. Holy Spirit, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Father God, I love you. Holy Spirit, I love you. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.